This podcast is brought to you by Excess Energy Drinks and Excess Sports Nutrition, exclusively from Amway. Excess offers a collection of active and adventure products to help you energize, hydrate, strengthen, and recover. Follow us on Instagram at Excess Nation. It's inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports, the college football podcast that gives fans the inside scoop on who's moving up, who's moving down, and what's happening with all the big news of the week. Dan Wolken and Paul Meyerberg will take you through this week's poll, interview coaches, and break down the sport like nobody else. Starting now. And welcome back to the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll podcast presented by USA Today Sports. I'm Dan Walken. Paul Meyerberg is here later in the show. We will have Boston College coach Jeff Halfley. His team's playing Clemson next week. They are one of the surprise teams in the country at 4-2, so we'll catch up with him. But, Paul, the Big Ten is back, and it came back with a bang, a classic, a game that ended on a play that I've watched 30 times, and I still don't know if the right call was made. But Indiana, in overtime, on a two-point conversion where Michael Penix dives for the end zone, it's called a good two-point conversion. The replay is just excruciatingly close. I think justice was done. What say you? Okay, so justice in the sense that the world – the universe needs to have balance to exist. Justice was done in that sense because Indiana had lost three in a row to Penn state by less than two touchdowns. Indiana hadn't beat a top 10 team in 33 years and 43 games. So this brought a little bit of uh, balance to the world. And, and I think that's a benefit in, in the overall sense of humanity. Um, I personally think I'm not a truther. There's no one on the grassy knoll. I don't, I, we don't need to go back and forth to the left or whatever. I personally think that the ball was short. I don't have an issue with it standing because it would have been difficult to overturn. In my opinion, watching the replay 82 times, the ball basically like divots in on the white before like bouncing into the pylon. So based on the angles that they showed on ABC over and over again, I thought it was short personally, but I don't have a problem with them upholding it because you couldn't have overturned it. Yeah, I, I thought the ball broke the plane before it touched out of bounds. That's what it seemed like to my eye. But um, it's one of those you just have to go with the call on the field. There's no angle that's definitive. It, it's just super, super close. Like, I don't think I've ever seen a call as close in all my years watching football. And I think the reason why I feel good about the fact that Indiana won that game is that Penn State played very stupidly. They played very stupidly at the beginning. They played very stupidly in the middle. And they played very stupidly at the end when all they had to do was basically kneel it four times and there's only like a handful of seconds left on the clock. And instead, they score a touchdown to go up seven. Instead of going for two, Franklin kicks the extra point to go up eight. And I know that's a debate in the analytics world and the coaching world in that situation, whether you should go for two or not. I think you should go for two because nine puts the game out of reach. But when there's, when you're up eight with a minute 45 left on the clock, like you don't have that game in the bag yet by any stretch in the imagination in, in any level of football in 2020 and Indiana made great plays to get the game to overtime, but like it's just stupid stuff by Penn state. And frankly, 
it's been a hallmark of James Franklin's tenure at Penn State that game management, clock management, all that, it just goes wrong in close games. Yeah, he said afterwards, and, and a couple players echoed it, that they had discussed, like, generally end-of-game situations where you want to milk the clock and not score. Very clearly, they didn't discuss it, like, right before they went onto the field for the drive that, you know, the long touchdown run that made it 28-20. I mean, so they could have talked about it, like, in 2016. They didn't talk about it on Saturday in uh, Bloomington. So that's on Franklin and and the staff to not be prepared for that situation. Um, I thought like for, for a little bit, it felt like Penn state was Clemsoning. Uh, That's a terrible word. Clemsoning means something else to a different number of people. I mean, Clemsoning, like you're playing Syracuse, you go out and have a sandwich and a soda for 20 minutes. And then you're like, Oh man, they're within six. All right. Let's, let's put this game away. And Clemson does because they're Clemson. It felt that way with Penn State with Indiana, that they had opportunities early. They made a, a bunch of errors, missed field goals, turnovers, stupid decisions, but didn't have what it takes to put them away in the end. So a really huge missed opportunity for Penn State with Ohio State coming on Saturday. All right, well, you mentioned Clemson. Let's uh, get to the top 25, the Amway Coaches Poll this week. Clemson remains number one. They beat Syracuse 47-21. Like you said, it got a little close for a while. Uh, I thought the game was a little concerning for Clemson because of their offensive line uh, did not play well, in my opinion, when Travis Etienne went out of the game. Uh, He had cramps. I think that's a concern. Travis Etienne covers up a lot of flaws. And uh, Dabo Sweeney did not want to hear any negative questions afterwards. He got a little frustrated with the reporters, but – I got to say, like when you're Clemson and you're playing teams that are just not as good as you and, and you don't look great or you do something wrong, like that's what's going to happen. Yeah, you're going to get a question about like, well, first off, um, Trevor Lawrence did say the question is, was basically like, did you think that your team didn't have the energy today? Which is for coaches is code for did you do, do a poor job preparing your team? So there was always a defensiveness to that. But Trevor Lawrence did say before, Dabo took the stage that they felt like they were a little bit lower energy than usual. So the response of, Oh, it's always negative. It's a little bit silly. Um, but in his defense, when push came to shove against Syracuse, it, Clemson was Clemson. So I think it's a learning moment and a teaching moment for Clemson more than a negative. I mean, if you can get, give Syracuse a chance to beat you, then they can tell the guys, Hey, anyone can beat you. So it's better than losing to Syracuse, which is, you know, what they've done in the past. Number two, Alabama, they take care of Tennessee, 48-17. Two things emerge from this game. One, unfortunately, Jalen Waddell likely out for the year with a broken ankle. I think that's a pretty big deal. Look, I don't think it's going to derail Alabama's season, but that's a big, big weapon. Yeah, it's a big loss. You you wrote last night, um, it might have been published early morning, like, hey, he, he still should have been returning kicks. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, That's where it happened. It was on the opening play of the game. Um, Like you're not going to let it, like now you're saying hindsight, he shouldn't have been returning kicks. That's just stupid. Like why does, why not even let him play football at all? In that case, he's the best return man in the country. So give me a break. So I think it's a big loss in in that respect because of his ability to control field position, even though he hadn't done too much in special teams so far this season. So you can't sugarcoat it. They've got two other good receivers, but, they had been three guys doing all the heavy lifting for Mac Jones. And now the number one guy is gone. So it's a loss for Alabama. You, you can't overlook it. Meanwhile, for Tennessee, it's just oh, a God. bad look. I mean, look, they're not expected to beat Alabama. Okay. 
we get it. But the last couple of weeks have just been brutal. And, you know, Jeremy Pruitt comes in after the game and he talks about how they're closing the gap. How? How are they closing the gap? Like, what, what's the evidence that they're closing the gap with anybody who's good in the SEC? I, I don't see right. it. I mean, I'm closing the gap on Michael Bloomberg um, in terms of my <laughs> career earnings. Like I'm literally closing the gap because I'm, I make more and I am closing the gap, but the gap is still pretty big. Um, and I still think it's growing. So what else is Pruitt going to say though? You know, I mean, what else can he say? And he may be technically right, right? His argument was like, Hey, if you go back to 2018 and look at that game and then look at this game. Yeah, I guess that's accurate, you know, but what else is he going to say? I, you what else is he going to say? It, it, Alabama is so much better than Tennessee. So much better. Surging to number three this week, the Ohio State Buckeyes, 52-17 over Nebraska. It was an almost perfect performance for Justin Fields, 20 of 21 passing, 276, couple touchdowns, ran the ball 15 times, 54 yards. It was everything you wanted to see and then some from Fields. Ohio State looked uh, pretty unstoppable, and that's why they're up to number three. Yeah, there are, uh, you know, how many teams from our preseason playoff contenders haven't had a learning curve? Like Clemson, Alabama, and now Ohio State. Every other team has had a moment, a game, uh, whatever, where it's looked like, oh, wow, they're a little bit behind the curve. Um, Ohio State did not. And this is why Ohio State – was very vocal about wanting to play because they believe they can win the national championship. And they obviously can. I mean, they were very, very good on Saturday. They were Notre Dame slips to number four. They crushed Pitt 45, three. There were some people who thought Pitt uh, might give Notre Dame a scare, including I believe you. Yeah. Well, you picked them to win 23, 19 last week, which I thought was pretty laughable. Um, in hindsight, we could probably play that recording from last week. Um, so look, um, Pitt is, Pitt has gone off, off a cliff, but this yeah. was the kind of game we want to see from Notre Dame, right? You play an inferior opponent like they had in, in Florida state and Louisville, but actually take care of business. It's probably um, Ian book's best game of the year. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And he has not played as well as people thought he was going to, but you know, Notre Dame is just, they're just taking care of business, you know, and I feel a little bit better about them today than I did last Sunday, obviously, because they did not play well against Louisville. Georgia, number five, Oklahoma state, number six, they are the last best hope right now for the big 12. It seems like to get into the playoff and they did what they needed to do against uh, Iowa state. It was 24, 21. Their defense played well. They got, Spencer Sanders back in on the field. He had had that high ankle sprain in the season opener early on. So he just hadn't played much and and he's a sophomore and he needs the reps. I don't know what to make of Oklahoma state. I don't know what to make of the big 12. This is not like the Mike Gundy, typical high flying offensive team that you just sort of like close your eyes and hope every time they're on defense, Jim Knowles has done a good job. Uh, but um I don't, I, I just, I, in my mind, I can't sort out what's going on in the big 12. No, me neither. But look, like you said, Oklahoma state's defense is, is played really well. I think they gave up two chunk plays to Brees, um, to Brees hall. I'm trying to think of one was a touchdown run and there was one other long run that I, I can't remember exactly how long it was, but you take those two out. They, they gave up like four, a little bit under four yards per play, which is really good against Iowa state. Yeah. So, they held Brock Purdy to 162 yards passing. 
Yeah. So look, like there's a lot to like about Oklahoma state, um, but uh, not a whole lot to go on. And look, look, like you said, the offense could get better. You always think the offense will be, you know, one of the best in the big 12. So maybe if that comes together, they're, they're more of a legitimate contender. Maybe the most impressive performance of the weekend was turned in by number seven, Cincinnati, 42-13 at SMU. I thought SMU would win this one. But, uh, I mean, this was from the very beginning pretty much in control. Uh, It it did get to 14-10 at the end of the half. But, um, you know, they kept SMU's offense – kind of in check the the entire game. And you, know, you look at the final stats. I mean, an SMU team that can put up 600 yards on anyone, they only, they only get 290 against Cincinnati. So um, uh, they, they look like they're for real. Yeah, 290 on like 85 plays. So wild that Cincinnati did that to SMU. Um, I love the way Cincinnati plays. And they did dominate SMU even when it got, you know, quote unquote close and never felt close. Um they play with a certain cockiness on defense that is like evident just from watching on TV. So you got to love it. Um, and this is like one of their bigger tests and they didn't just pass it. I mean, they aced it on the road SMU. They beat them by almost 30 and just dominate the second half. So best team in the group of five with a bullet Cincinnati at this point, number eight, A&M number nine, Florida. They didn't play number 10 BYU. They unsurprisingly had an, Easy win against Texas State, 52-14. They roll on to 6-0. and Wisconsin at number 11, up from number 14. They were pretty impressive Friday night, 45-7 over Illinois. I think the big uh, revelation from that game was Graham Mertz, the quarterback, freshman who was thrust into duty because of Jack Cohn's injury. And Mertz, uh, 20 of 21, five touchdowns. I mean, that was pretty surprising. Yeah, he's he's a really top tier recruit, one of the top highest rated QB recruits Wisconsin has had in the recruiting era. And I think a lot of people thought last offseason that he would win the job over Cone because no one knew anything about Cone. Um, Cone had a good year, kind of like in the Jim Sorge, Brock's, Brock, Brooke Bollinger, Brock Bollinger, old Wisconsin quarterbacks <laughs> who just kind of like got the job done. Um, How many old know, Wisconsin quarterbacks can you name? <clears throat> well, we got Sorky, we got um, Bollinger, um, we have uh, I count Tolzien, Scott Tolzien in that group because he was a throwback. Um, Russell Wilson. Yeah, Russell Wilson. He was a different breed. I'm trying to think, there was a guy who backed up Peyton forever. That might have been Sorky. Anyway, I should have more than three off the top of my head, but he's in that class. Mertz might give this offense a little bit of a, of a, of a better look. So I don't know how you take him out. I know cones out indefinitely, but if, if you're throwing five touchdowns with one incompletion for, you know, your big 10 debut, it's might be hard to take him out of the lineup whenever that situation arises. How, how could you forget Joel Stave? Stave. Yeah. Okay. That's ridiculous. Wisconsin starting quarterbacks. I, I, yeah, I'm already, Wikipedia. I'm already there. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's uh, on, Wisconsin. let's roll on Miami's uh, number twelve. They had kind of a scratchy nineteen fourteen win over Virginia offense, maybe going the wrong direction. Uh, Thirteen North Carolina, they blasted NC State. Let's talk a little bit about Michigan at number fourteen. I thought Michigan looked terrific. Uh, some people yeah. thought, including myself, that they were going to have trouble at Minnesota. But uh, Michigan, I got to tell you, uh, Joe Milton at quarterback, like you look at the numbers and, you know, 15 for 22, 225. 
like it doesn't jump off the page, but I just thought they looked very competent and more interesting on offense than they've looked in quite some time. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Same thought last night, kind of recapping the game, looking at Milton's numbers and not, you know, following them during the game, but, but not having a good picture of it. Surprised at how you could look at the box score and not get a real sense of his impact on that game. And I think you nailed it in terms of being controlled um, and being like a coherent, cohesive, co-consistent unit. Um, I think Milton had a huge impact in that regard. So just a smashing debut for him and uh, a happy Jim Harbaugh afterwards. And I swear they've won a bunch of games under him. You don't often see him that as happy as you saw him last night. If I've ever seen him that happy, I, I don't really know when it was during his Michigan tenure. And he didn't wear the khakis. Didn't wear the khakis, but was he wearing like sunglasses last night? Yeah, I, I know some those... guys have like eye problems, but transitions? I, I, yeah, they look weird. I, I don't, I don't yeah. know what's going looks, on there. He looks like um, he just looks like somebody's uncle. That's like what an uncle would wear, sunglasses at night. Just, it looked bad. But anyway, he could have eye problems. I know that's uh, – who's the guy? Dan McCarney used to have to wear sunglasses all the time. <laughs> all right, uh, 15 Oregon, still waiting on them to play. 16 Kansas State, they've been impressive. They beat Kansas 55-14. Not really sure what that means. Uh, here's one of those situations that uh, is going to drive you crazy. Penn State's number 17, Indiana's number 19. It's the highest Indiana has been since 1993, but, I mean, we just saw the game in Indiana won. Why is Penn State ranked ahead of Indiana? One thing that they did get right, A&M ahead of Florida. Thank you. Finally. They got that right. Finally. But, uh, yeah, it, this was an easy one. Penn State is 0-1. Indiana is 1-0. Indiana's one win came over Penn State, while Penn State's one loss came to Indiana. So I wouldn't overthink. I wouldn't have overthought that one too much. Marshall moves up to 18 from 25. They are rolling along at 5-0. and They seem to be emerging as the Conference USA favorite right now. USC 20, Coastal Carolina, we gave them love last week. They're up to number 21. They had another, uh, another good performance uh, this week and uh, beat Georgia Southern 28-14. Some great video of their after-game uh, celebration as well. On, on That's awesome. Really fun stuff. Yeah. Iowa State slips to 22. SMU slips to 23. Oklahoma back in the top 25 at 24. You know, they, they're they're on the comeback. You know, they, they had to sort of regroup here. Um, we'll talk about them a little bit more in, in the later segment of the show. But uh, they they did what they needed to do against TCU. They, they looked solid defensively. They're, they're a little bit under the radar right now, but um, uh, I, I think they're headed probably back in the right direction. Army at number 25 at 6-1. and one. Out of the poll this week, Virginia Tech, Minnesota, NC State. Uh, look who's up there at number 26, Paul. Itching <laughs> to get in. Itching. Itching to get in. Yeah. The Liberty it's Flames like and Hugh Freeze. A whisper out. A whisper out of the top 25. Um, and they're probably going to get there. They're go- You know what? It's not too soon to talk about this. Biggest game in program history, November 7th. They play Virginia Tech. Biggest game in program history by far for Liberty. They win that game. They're, like, guaranteed because of the nature of their schedule to finish in the top 25. And Hugh Freeze will be your next head coach wherever you want him to be. Um, But they'll be in the top 25 if they can beat Tech, which they can definitely do. I mean, I don't know. It's a little early for me to be talking about what kind of job that Hugh Freeze could get. Uh, because I do think that there's just a lot there <laughs> that we could probably talk about on another episode. Um, he's done a great job. There's no doubt. I mean, they've maximized that thing. 
I don't think he's going to leave for like Southern Miss because it's just it's not as good of a job. It's not going to pay as much money. Does he get back in the Power Five? I think it's complicated. I think it's got to be the right situation. You know, there's not going to be probably a job in the Big Twelve that comes open for him. Is you know that that would be an ideal kind of thing. I think the SEC will will discourage him coming back, sort of tacitly discourage schools from hiring him at least now maybe after a little more time, but um, I mean, look, there's real baggage there. There's no doubt. Uh, But uh, he is certainly staking his claim to getting back in the power five. All right. So that's the top 25 this week in the Amway coaches poll. Hang with us. We're about to talk to Boston college coach, Jeff Halfley, who is having a incredible debut season at four and two. They got Clemson this week. Inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports. Get up, get motivated, get after it. Try Excess Intense pre-workout boost prior to any workout or activity and feel 3.2 grams of Carnison Beta Alanine along with a 600 milligram energy blend that includes 100 milligrams of natural caffeine. Excess pre-workout supplement fuels you without the high levels of caffeine or sugar crash. Without any fillers or artificial flavors, colors, or preservatives, you get everything you need and nothing you don't. Excess Intense Pre-Workout Boost gets you moving. Follow us on Instagram at XSNation to experience more. And stay tuned after the podcast to see how serious athletes gain an edge with professional mountain biker Mark Matthews. Now, back to Inside the Amway Coaches Poll with Dan Wolken and Paul Meyerberg. Welcoming into the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll podcast is Boston College coach Jeff Halfley, who has the Eagles at four and two right now in his first season as a head coach, coming off a nice win against Georgia Tech on Saturday, 48 to 27. Of course, got to turn around and prepare for Clemson this week. Uh, Jeff, man, thanks for joining. It's great to have you. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Anytime. So, Jeff, uh, four and two, I mean, you guys are out of the gates uh, really impressively. I know it's been an unusual and difficult and trying time for a first-year head coach to take over a team and to start a season. How do you think you've been able to navigate all these challenges so well and, and have your guys so bought in early on this year? Well, it, it has been hard. You know, we, we really haven't had a chance to be around our players too much. I got here and just as I was getting to know them, we all got sent home. So I really got to know most of them through Zoom. Um, and then fortunately, we came back in June, so I had some extra time with them. Still kind of hard because you can't be around them as much as you'd like. I can't have them in my office really hanging out and finding out more about their lives. Um, so just doing the best we can and showing them that we care and showing them that we're here for them and trying to get them together as much as we can and developing a relationship with the staff and the players um, and really – trying to build their confidence. I think it's a group that needed to build their confidence. I think it's a group that uh, we need to show we cared and loved, loved them. Um, it's a group that, you know, they needed to get closer as a team. And I think that's helped. It's a team that has gone through some hard times together, um, that battled through COVID and was forced really to give up months of their lives. And the sacrifices that they've made for each other has been really, it's incredible that we haven't really had a, a, a test that was positive and over 5,000 tests now says a lot about the type of kids we have. And then the buy-in's been great. You know, first-year head coach, new staff, new schemes, um, really not having spring football or a real training camp. So I give a lot of credit to the players just for their hard work and 
for never quitting. I mean, our kids play really hard. They do. And we make mistakes and I make mistakes. It's my first time, but, but the effort's phenomenal. And I appreciate that. So you're, you came off of Virginia tech, not the result you're looking for, obviously 40 to 14. Um, and you beat Georgia tech by 21. What was the response that you felt coming out of the tech, the first tech game from your team that gave you the confidence that there wouldn't be any sort of hangover from your really your first lopsided loss because UNC was a little bit more competitive. Right. You know, when you, when you really look hard at that Virginia Tech game, and I said it to the players immediately following, um, we turned the ball over five times. And you can't beat anybody if you turn the ball over five times. I mean, yesterday was the opposite, right? We were plus three. And that's probably why we won the way we did. But if you really look closely at that game, the way our offense was moving the ball, in three out of our first four possessions, we drove the ball right down the field inside the 20 and we gave it away. So I never felt more, I felt so confident with our offense after that Virginia Tech game. And I just had a great feeling about it. And I showed the guys and I showed them that and I talked about it all week. And we had to do the little things better. We had to secure the ball. We had to continue to take the ball away. And we had to tackle better. Um, you know, football is one of those games, as you guys know, sometimes those games happen. And I could have yelled and screamed, but I didn't. Um, I coached him how I did after a win. I showed him the good, I showed him the bad, and I showed him how we needed to get better. So I was really confident, really, really confident with our offense. And I said it all week to the team. I, I felt like we'd come out fast. And if we held the ball, I felt like we would score a lot of points. Jeff, you've been in some close games early this year. You played an overtime game against Pitt. Uh, you won that one in kind of a crazy fashion. You were right there against North Carolina. You had to kind of hold on against Texas State. As a first-time head coach, is it different when you're in the middle of a close game like that, just the, sort of the feeling that you've got as opposed to, to being an assistant or being a coordinator? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, when, when you're a defensive coordinator, you're a defensive coach, you're just, you know, you're going through the defense when the offense is up, you're sitting there and you're kind of waiting your turn and go over and stuff with the players and you're kind of cheering on the offense, but you're still staying focused as a head coach. You know, every decision matters. Every timeout matters. You're staring at the clock constantly. You're thinking about special teams. You're thinking about trying to steal a possession. And that's all new for me. Fortunately, I've been involved in a lot of close games now. It's like all I really know. Yesterday, I didn't know what to do when we were up by 21 points. As a defensive guy, starting the second half, I told our quarterback and coordinator, I said, we're not snapping the ball with more than five seconds left because all I think about is possessions all day long. Is how many possessions, how many possessions. Uh, so we really did a good job. I think we held the ball for well over 30 something minutes. Um, yeah, it's way, way different. Trust me. Uh, and I'm still learning Dan. So I got, I got, I've been through some, some interesting ones, but the clock management stuff I've had to work really hard at. Um, and he's, even as an assistant, a coordinator, I've, I've always tried to pay a lot of attention to that, but it's different when you're the guy having to call the timeouts. There was, there was one, for example, when I was trying to call a timeout, but I was standing so far away from the ref. Cause I'm not used to like, you got to go all the way down to like the 15 yard line nowadays. So I'm looking for the ref and I start sprinting and I couldn't get it in time. So definitely a lot of things I got to learn. So you had a, everyone had a unique off season. You had a unique off season as a first year coach. Um, you worked for a number of guys that everyone knows their name. I mean, you work for urban Meyer, you like work at Ohio state and, and so on down the line. Um, who'd you call? I mean, who'd you talk to this, this summer and this spring to, give you the tips to get through this situation when it was a situation that no one had really ever been through before. Yeah. You know, I've, I've been fortunate and, and I've been around, you know, just looking back from uh, Dave Wanstead, who really has helped me out a lot. Um, you know, I was with coach Yano for a while. He was very, very detailed in the game. Uh, Mike Patton in the NFL was all over clock management. Um, you know, and I actually was fortunate enough too when I was in Tampa, 
we actually spent times, we did a crossover deal with the Patriots and spent a lot of time with them. And I talked to a lot of clock management, even as a young assistant with those guys. And obviously they're some of the best situationally that there is. And then with Kyle Shanahan and Robert Sala in San Francisco, um, I learned a ton. Kyle's really good at that stuff. Um, just constant two minute work end of game work that, you know, I would always stand right by those guys and, and listen and do the best we can. So I've been fortunate. I've had a lot of good guys. And then Rob Chudzinski, who's our senior assistant, is the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. Um, so what him and I did this off season, he's, he's on our staff here now. I mean, he gave me tape and we asked each other questions and he quizzed me and he tested me and he's next to me on the sideline and he's got a ton of sheets and stuff that I can't have because I got the defensive call sheet with me and he's constantly helping me out. So a credit to him. Um, but he's, he's really, really good at that stuff too. So Jeff, you're four and two right now. You've got Clemson this week. What's the focus for your team this week? What's the message that you're going to try to impart on your guys, knowing that they're the number one team in the country and, and you're a pretty significant underdog uh, going into this game? Well, it's kind of been, it's been the same with me this whole season. And I said, I wouldn't change I, this whole year for me is about building our foundation of who we are, right? We've won in every game confident. Why? Because we practice well. And I believe that you practice and you coach so hard during the week and whoever you play, you go into that game fearless and you go in confident and you let it rip and you do the best you can. If the work's right, it's, you know, it's like getting ready for a test. If you study and you do your job and you, you know you put in the work Saturday, you just go do the best that you can and you don't flinch. And that's going to be the same way we go into this game. I haven't really made it about an opponent yet because we still have to get so much better. We do. And this isn't like coach BS talk. This is the truth. There's so many little things we need to get better at. I need to get better at, but I'm going to approach it the same way. We go out, we go out in about a half hour in practice and it's got to be right. And if it is and Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday are right and they feel good, then that gives us the right to go in Saturday confident and let it go and do the best that we can. And that's how I'm going to coach. And I'm not going to play. I'm not going to coach scared. We're not going to play scared. I'm just going to go let it rip and see what we can do. You mentioned before, Jeff, I thought was really interesting. The idea that you can, you can almost look at possessions, total possessions as a, as a dictator, you look at the box score. It might give you an idea of what the final result was. Do you have a number or have you, have you crunched that to give you an idea of if we can hit this total of possessions on offense or on defense that, that leads us to be the most successful? Each week it's different, right? So mm -hmm. if you go into a game and you're a 28-point underdog or 20, like whatever we were against North Carolina, you, you really want to limit those down, right? So if you can keep them under 12 possessions, 10 possessions, when you start getting up really high, I mean, then you look at play numbers, right? The nice thing about us is we huddle. So – we're usually in the 60 play range, 60 to 70, where there's some that are going to 100. If you have 100 plays in a game against some of these really dynamic offenses, they're going to score a lot of points. If we can keep them in that 60 to 70 range, then you should come the fourth quarter, if you're playing the game the right way, you should have a pretty good game on your hand. Um, it doesn't always work out like that, but that's why constantly throughout the game, if the game does start going one side or the other, I just constantly think about how can we steal a possession? Um, and that's just, it's been really important for us this year so far. Jeff, I want to just take you back a little bit. You played football at Siena and that's not a program. A lot of people uh, probably know anything about how did you end up there? And at what point uh, did you start looking at coaching as, as a career? Yeah. I mean, I wasn't, I mean, look, I'm really not that big. If you guys see me in person and I'm really not very fast, um, I really didn't have a whole lot of opportunities, but I wanted to play college football cause I wanted to coach. 
So that's one of the main reasons I did. So I grew up in North Jersey. The guy, um, the head coach at the time was recruiting me really hard and I liked him a lot. Went up, I liked the school. I mean, they don't even have football anymore, so no one should know about it. Um, <laughs> and I certainly didn't help make it any better. Um, and then when I got there, I just, I knew I wanted to coach. And it was just, it was one of those things in high school. I knew I wanted to be a coach. That's why I wanted to play college football to continue to learn. And, you know, then I went on to coach division three football and I kind of worked my way up and I'm glad I did it that way. Truthfully, because I, you know, I, I had to work hard and I was around good people. There, there's a lot of good high school and division three coaches that are just as good as coaches I've been around in the NFL that just for some reason or another, just like any other profession, don't get a chance. But, you know, I lined fields, I painted helmets, I cleaned the equipment shed and, I still set up my own drills when I run them and I'm not going to change. I learned in my opinion, how to do things the right way. You are a history major and supposedly a, a pretty good student, according to your bio. Um, what is like, do you have a, uh, have you kept it up? Is there a certain time in history that piqued your interest? What was the story behind that degree? I was going to be a high school history teacher. Um, I wanted to teach, I wanted to teach high school. I wanted to coach high school football and be a history teacher. So I went mm -hmm. for education. Um, history was the only thing that made sense to me because it actually really happened. You know, when numbers <laughs> started adding up in my head, I, I need to like hear a story so I can remember it. When numbers start adding up in my head, I get all confused. Nowadays, the only history I remember is the last couple of games. That's about the only history I try to learn from. But it's just something that interested me. And I thought I'd be a high school coach, teach social studies and and have a blast doing it, you know. Jeff, when you, when you came back from the NFL uh, to Ohio State in 2019, uh, you got some credit for the recruiting success that uh, you guys had at, at Ohio State. Uh, where did you learn to be a, a good recruiter? And is there any uh, player in your time at Ohio State or any recruiting battle that stands out as, as particularly uh, memorable, memorable for you? I think the recruiting just, you know, I was always told as a young coach that you're going to make your mark early um, as a recruiter. And I got really competitive with it. And I was around some good people, like a guy, Charlie Partridge, really helped me out a lot. He was at Pitt. I was a GA, and I just kind of followed him around and learned from him. He's still probably the best recruiter that I've been around. Mm -hmm. Showed me a lot of different things. And, and I knew at that point, Dave Watts had hired me. I was 26 years old to coach a secondary, and I knew I had to go out and recruit. Um, and I did, and I was relentless because that's how you win, right? You need good players. So I got competitive with it. And the one that stands out to me is probably when I recruited Deion Lewis. Um, you know, I was literally – I was at an airport getting ready to get on a plane. I got a phone call and said, Hey, go and see this running back. And I looked and he was listed at like five foot six, 160 pounds. And it was like an hour and a half out of the way. I was going to miss my flight, but I did. I got in the car. I went out and saw him. He handed me his film. I looked at him and he was, I was taller than him, which I'm not taller than very many people. Um, so then instead of getting on a plane, I drove back to pit myself. It took me like five, five and a half hours. I popped in the film and I just started laughing. I was like, this kid's ridiculous. And I gave the film to Coach Wanstead. He said, if this kid's five foot eight, we'll offer him. So I think when he came up here, we had him keep high shoes on. We measured him at five eight. We offered him, and he's still playing today. So those are the stories that, to me, it's not about getting the four or five star recruits, right? Like everybody last year at Ohio State had me as this national recruiter. Like I was ranked like one or two in the country. When you're at Ohio State like that, it's like, I want this guy, I want this guy, and I want this guy, and you go get him. And yeah, you have to recruit hard. I get that but you, you come to a place like this or you go to a smaller school and you see like we, you know, we flip a kid from Florida, you know, how hard work that is. I mean, those are the guys now. I mean, those are some of the guys sitting back there in our office right now that should be up for national recruiter of the year, getting the kids. They get no disrespect to Ohio state. I mean, I was there and I was one of them, 
Um, so I'm picking on me, not anybody else, but it's the kids you get that are two-star kids that you develop and they turn into like a kid who's still playing in San Francisco and nickel K1 Williams that are recruited. Those are the stories you remember. Um, you know, so those are the ones that you change a kid's life. If you take a kid who has no offers and he's still playing and he's playing in the NFL right now and you just change a kid's life, that's what it's all about. Well, that was going to lead me into the next thing is, so now you're at Boston college. A lot of people look at that program and say, yeah, there's not a lot of players up around the new England area. There's a few, but if you want to build a program that's competitive in the ACC, you, you need to cast a wider net. How are you going to do it? And what do you, what is the plan for, for recruiting uh, guys that can help you win, you know, some of these big games in the ACC? Yeah. And you know, that is a good question. And it's one of the reasons I wanted this job because I do believe you can recruit here. We're one of the best academic schools that play power five football in the country. We have a great campus with one of the best cities in America, right down the road. And what I want our staff to do is I want to go fight. I don't want to take guys that we just know we can get right now. If we have to fight 50 fights and we lose 45 of them, I'm okay with that. We'll get those five guys and we'll continue to do that. And then at the same time, we'll evaluate. I mean, we're out in Texas, we're out in Alabama, we're out in California. I mean, if we find an academic kid who loves football and fits what we want to do, you know, let's go get him. And I don't care how many stars he is. And I don't care if, I don't care what my recruiting ranking is, truthfully, no disrespect to any of the rankings, but we got to trust ourselves and not get caught up in that and get kids that fit us and fit our program that we believe in and develop them. Cause if we can do that and we can keep kids here by their senior year, um, you know, it's got to be right for us to win the big games. It's got to be our seniors are so developed and so experienced that they're better than such and such as freshman five-star player. That's how we're going to win here. And it's going to take time, but that's the way we have to do it. Jeff, man, it's been a pleasure to have you on the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll podcast. Great stuff. And good luck the rest of the season. It's been really a terrific start for you guys and glad we're able to highlight some of it. Just uh, keep it going the rest of the way. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you, Jeff. All right, guys. Have a good day. Thanks, Jeff. Inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports. Thanks very much to Jeff Halfley from Boston College for coming on the show today. So let's uh, start looking ahead to next week, Paul. I think when the Big Ten schedule came out, we all had Ohio State at Penn State circled on the calendar as uh, the biggest game of the week. And indeed, that is where college game day is going. But uh, it did lose a little bit of luster, I think, after that Penn State loss. I mean, it's not like you look at that game now and and it, the whole thing's at stake because Penn State is, has already dug a pretty big hole for themselves. Yeah, this was supposed to be like the Alabama-Georgia game for the Big Ten and be the one that everyone had to watch because the winner was an obvious playoff favorite. The loser was still in the mix. You know, you lose by a point and you don't know how it'll play out. Um, it's not that anymore. I think we're looking at Ohio state, like beating Penn state and Penn state's and two, and we don't think about them the rest of the season. So it's disappointing. It's doubly disappointing after um, USA today booked a car in a hotel for that game. Um, <laughs> that's another layer of disappointment, but uh yeah, it's a shame. I mean, and it's a shame for the Big Ten because they had hung their hat on this game, and you could have seen why early in the season why they chose to do that. Well, and the other thing about it, too, is just looking at the two teams, I don't think Penn State's got a shot. Unless their offense can make huge, huge strides in the span of a week, because what they did against Indiana, it was so vanilla, it was so basic, it was so uh, non-dynamic. And, I, again, I don't know if that's – 
the fact they didn't have a lot of time, new coordinator, you don't have Journey Brown, but it, to me, just they can't keep up with Ohio State. Yeah, and then you, you begin to wonder who can, you know, oh. and yeah, I don't know who that team is in the Big Ten, but yeah, not not enough explosiveness from Penn State to hang with Ohio State, you know. I just don't see it. I don't see it at the skill positions. I don't see it at quarterback. Um, maybe this is a game that would have played better in December, you know, instead of week two. But at this point, I don't, I don't know how Penn State like flips the switch in six days. This seems like a, a, a mismatch. And there's no home field advantage too. You know, if it was 730 yeah. October on Halloween with a whiteout, 100,000, it's a different story. I mean, I don't know where Penn State has one advantage in this game. I really don't. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, let's move on to Texas at Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State's 4-0. Uh, it's been, I think, a pretty interesting 4-0 because it's just not what you expect from Oklahoma State defensively. They've been good. Uh, Texas coming off a, a win over Baylor that was unspectacular, but their defense at least looked pretty competent. Uh, maybe they've made some strides with the bye week since the Red River game. I think this is the week where people are going to start inflating Oklahoma state and that's the prime opportunity, just sort of given the way the big 12 typically goes, that's a prime opportunity for uh, Texas to go in there and pull an upset. I think. Yeah, this seems like an upset growing. Um, I still don't know what to make of Oklahoma state. I mean, it's a good win from Saturday, but um, they're a hard team to figure out. And you're right. Like they're the default next team in that when you talk about power five conferences, the best teams from each league, they're just assuming that spot. I don't really know. I mean, yeah, this is, seems like a game that Texas would win. I don't, I don't know why it just has that feeling, but Oklahoma state's defense has been better. It's the second best in the conference. I mean, statistically across the board compared to West Virginia. So there's talent there at Oklahoma state. You know, I just, is anyone really buying it that they're like number six? I, I don't, I don't no. think anyone's really buying it. I don't think so. I'm not buying it. They're, they're not the sixth best team in the country. I don't think now, but I will, but I will say this, if you sort of look ahead and uh, Spencer Sanders keeps developing, he missed some pretty crucial time uh, early in the season. If he can make improvements week to week, then then they might have something. They, they might really be a legitimate big 12 title contender, but I, this is a key game. This is to me the biggest test they've had. Yeah, and then they got Kansas State on the road, I think, on the 7th. Um, it might be the 14th. I think it's the 7th. So, yeah, they got two big ones coming up. And, look, like, no disrespect to them. Like, I, I think it's fair to say for both of us and for most people listening, we're just kind of waiting it out. Yeah, like, let's talk about them in two weeks. It's too soon. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, as far as the third best game, I'll tell you, it's, it's slim pickings uh, this week. I, I would say maybe – Memphis, Cincinnati. Yeah, that's what I think. I think that's, I mean, there are other games that have a little bit of interest. Like I want to see Michigan's offense again against a really bad Michigan state team. Uh, you know, you want to see Georgia after a little bit of a break against Kentucky, but Memphis, Cincinnati is, a. Uh, you know, we know Cincinnati is damn good. We know Memphis is also pretty darn good. Um, but uh, if you're the American, you're obviously pulling hard for Cincinnati, you know, and this is one of their bigger tests down the stretch. But if they beat Memphis, it's just one more hurdle and you're, and you're looking at an unbeaten season, honestly. So, yeah, that's the third best game for the subplots and just for the talent and, and coaches involved. Well, you have to remember last year, Memphis beat Cincinnati in the final game of the regular season. Mm-hmm. 
which clinched their division. And then they had to turn around a week later, play them again in the conference championship game. And, and so they had to beat Cincinnati twice in two weeks last season to make the cotton bowl. Uh, I am th- certain Cincinnati's had this one circled f- ever since the schedule <laughs> came out. So, yeah, I think so too. Good matchup. I mean, it's the game of the week in the group of five and, um, I'm trying to think if there's even another group of five game that's, that has some intrigue. Not really. I mean, I thought air force was pretty good. And then they, they got a little bit pushed around by San Jose state as we watched last night. So that game against Boise doesn't have the same level of interest for me anymore. So, um, yeah, I guess you'll see how SMU bounces back against Navy. So that's it. Cincinnati Memphis is definitely your game of the week. Now, I don't know for sure whether this game is going to be played as of the recording of this podcast. Missouri at Florida is still on, but obviously Florida has been dealing with a very significant COVID issue. Uh, They're planning to start football activities back on Monday. Maybe they'll be on track to play that game, but uh, I will say this. um, They're they're probably not going to have all their players available, even if they they do get back to play. And, And Missouri is kind of riding a little bit of momentum right now. Yeah, I mean, surprisingly, in Missouri good job by like Eli Drinkwitz. Yeah, yeah, really good job. They, they weren't like the team like um, Arkansas Vandy, where we actually thought in the preseason that they might go zero and ten. But I don't think anyone thought Missouri would win more than three. I think four if they got really lucky. Um, so to be two and two at this point, um, I think there are a lot of first year guys who are surprising. Halfley is one of them. Uh, Drinkwitz another. So they're they're outplaying expectations at this point, but. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, we, we know from looking at the SEC so far, two and two, I think, could be two and six in a hurry. So, um, you know, this is like game five of a World Series. I think it, it could be a potential turning point or in either direction for Missouri. Georgia at Kentucky. Kentucky's a very ugly team to watch. They're not <laughs> exactly uh, uh, smooth and high-flying, but I will be interested to see if Georgia decides to – do something at quarterback that they have not done yet. And this would seem to be the best opportunity to maybe get JT Daniels up to speed. We've talked about it. It feels like ad nauseum. Kentucky's defense is pretty good. But uh, look, if you're Georgia at some point, you, you got to you gotta see what you have because uh, a week later you're playing Florida and, and you want to – if JT Daniels is going to be the guy, you want him to have at least one start before that Florida game. Yeah, that's the point I was going to make, and, and I'm, I think you agree. If it's not this week, it's not going to be next week. Um, I mean, well, obviously, barring like a 12 for 30 performance from Bennett, which given Kentucky's defense is not not ridiculous. I mean, he could have a really rough game against this pass defense. I mean, they did a, a number on uh, Tennessee, and, and that's not a great comparison. No one wants to be like Tennessee, Tennessee's passing game, but they obviously can, can stop the pass. So – it could change before Florida, but yeah, you're right. In my opinion, if you want to look ahead and move forward, um, and we're always ragging on Stetson Bennett, it feels like, and plugging JT Daniels, but if you're going to make the move, now's the time. Give Daniels a week to, to get his sea legs, and don't wait to put him in before the cocktail party. The other game I think a lot of people will be interested in in the SEC is Arkansas at A&M, uh, because Arkansas has kind of been the darling of the early part of the season. A&M, they, they've been okay, except for the game against Alabama. But, you know, I, I think Arkansas, like, as well as they've done and, and as much credit as we're giving Sam Pittman, 
You also do have to kind of remember, you know, they're two and two. They played an Ole Miss team that gave them the ball seven times. <laughs> you know, they, they beat Mississippi State by a touchdown. It, it's not like Arkansas played at a, a top 25 level. Now, if they go down to College Station and beat A&M, that changes the narrative in a pretty significant way. Yeah, I don't think they're going to, but it definitely would be a, a validation. They've like just played competitive football, and I, and I think to an extent, the fact that Arkansas had not in multiple years is clouding judgment a bit. Arkansas is a really good story, but I think you're going to see some people thinking like, well, Arkansas is going to go in and shock A&M on the road. That's a little bit of a stretch for me at this point. Like losing to Auburn controversially, like with a blown call, does not mean that you're going to win at A&M. That's just my opinion. Doesn't mean they're not a great story. Doesn't mean Pittman hasn't done an outstanding job reversing that culture. But uh, I think AM wins this one. I, I want to see if the spread is up. I think the spread would be like 12 ish. Yeah. It's not, I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, I'd pick AM double digits, not by 40, but, you know, 14, 17 points, I think is fair. Here's a question, Dan, about SEC while we're on it. Who, like, what, when you look at LSU Auburn, someone's going to be really unhappy after the game. Like one of these programs is going to be just pulling their hair out. Which one has more to lose? You know, LSU two and two, Auburn three and two. I mean, this feels like strangely high stakes considering that neither team is going to do anything. Yeah. Look, I think Auburn, they're lucky to be three and two right now. They really could be one and four very easily. They've had some very key calls go in their favor that they probably shouldn't have. And LSU, you know, I doubt Miles Brennan's going to be available, but that was a nice performance by TJ Finley, a freshman quarterback that I think now they're going to be really excited about. I think in some ways that maybe works against LSU a little bit because I just think like people are going to go nuts for that kid all week long. Can he put it together again against a much more talented defense? I would probably lean to Auburn although they've just been so underwhelming. Like, you can't trust them. No. No, no, no. No, you can't trust Auburn. <clears throat> no, no, no. No, no. I don't. As far as any other uh, games to watch this week, uh, Wisconsin-Nebraska, I mean, that's I, – I, I am tired of the complaining by Nebraska people about how tough their start was. I'm tired of the conspiracy theories. I'm tired of the whining – you're going to have to play Ohio state anyway, like whatever you open with Ohio state, you open with Wisconsin, you got to play those teams, no matter what. Um, Wisconsin looked awful good. Is there any silver lining in that Ohio state game for Nebraska that maybe gives them some feeling that they can pull an upset against uh, the Badgers Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I guess if you play Ohio State pretty well for like 25 minutes, that's kind of a feather in your cap, especially when you haven't been to a bowl game in several years. Um, Wisconsin's a different sort of animal. Like, I don't, I don't really know if, if you can kind of run with Ohio State for a bit, if that prepares you for what Wisconsin's going to do. But um, if the offensive line is better for Nebraska, like they believe, then the team will be better. But, like, there's a lot of room between Nebraska getting better and then reaching Wisconsin. So I, I don't, I don't expect Nebraska to win this game, but they've got a shot. Why not? As far as the ACC, pretty straightforward week. You've got Clemson hosting Boston college. Of course, we talked about that with Jeff Halfley. Notre Dame's going to Georgia tech. I don't think that shapes up very competitively North Carolina at Virginia. I don't see any trouble there. Uh, 
Big 12, Iowa State's got Kansas. That should be a win for them. Kansas State at West Virginia, probably not a huge amount of trouble there. Um, Oklahoma at Texas Tech. Oklahoma's totally slipped under the radar. But that was a that was a good win for Texas Tech to go to Morgantown and get a little confidence. Uh, this, this is a big game for Oklahoma. Yeah, I don't think Oklahoma is going to lose again this season. I think their losses are done. I don't know why. For the regular season. For the regular season. For the regular season. Um, they're not going to lose again. They're going to run the table. And not just because they don't really play anyone good except for Oklahoma State, and they don't ever lose to Oklahoma State. Um, it was a strange – TC was a strange game. I thought they thoroughly dominated the game. I thought Lincoln Riley like kind of played it safe at a lot of moments. Um, and maybe that he just understands his team a little bit better. But I looked at the way they played. Certainly on defense, you saw improvement. I think Oklahoma's going to win – in Lubbock, even though it's primetime Halloween, which seems like a terrible recipe for disaster for any team going to Lubbock. But uh, this is, they're, they're going to, they're in the middle of a winning streak, OU. So they're going to end the year in the top 20, top 15. All right. Well, I think that's about all the big games for next week that are worth discussing. So we will end the podcast there. Thanks to Jeff Halfley for coming on. Uh, Paul, good stuff as always. And uh, I guess have a good trip to Happy Valley, assuming you're still going. Yeah, we'll see. Um, guess there's still an argument to see Ohio State play because they're damn good. But uh, Penn State did not uphold its end of the bargain. No, it Though, didn't. I've been to Penn State games against Ohio State where even like two hours after kickoff, I've sat in the parking lot, car running in a line for an hour. Mark Tracy used to cover college football for the New York Times. He and I sat in a line for about an hour waiting to get out of the stadium. So I might want to go to this game just for the ease of transport. Like – pull up to the gate seven o'clock pull out at midnight no rush no waiting it'll be a, a like a really refreshing change from the normal in state college that is definitely one thing about college football games this year is uh, a lot of these towns basically it's one road in one road out and on game days it is not the pretty picture but uh, this year you can pretty much sail in and sail out so we will sail out here and talk to you guys next week for paul meyerberg this is dan wolken it's been the inside the amway coaches poll podcast presented by usa today sports have a great week everybody you've been listening to inside the amway coaches poll from usa today sports listen and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform Many athletes claim taking a pre-workout supplement is a game-changer during training and competition. Most people need energy to focus and power through their workouts, and many turn to a cup of coffee or an energy drink. Serious athletes need more than just a jolt. The benefit of a pre-workout supplement leads to more sustained energy and focus. There are many categories of pre-workout supplements with different ingredients based on different needs. In the past, some of these ingredients have proven to be dangerous and or ineffective. Pre-workout supplements using more natural ingredients have become more popular and preferred by athletes like myself who are very concerned about what we put in our bodies. Excess Pre-Workout Boost uses naturally occurring Rhodia La Rosa in a 600 milligram energy blend that includes natural caffeine and B vitamins to deliver you that sustained energy during your workouts. It's infused with 3.2 grams of industry-leading carnosine beta-alanine, the only beta-alanine that has successfully obtained NDI status from the FDA, and Informed Choice certified. It's safe to say Excess Pre-Workout Boost is safe. Products on the Informed Choice Sport Program go through a rigorous registration process. Every batch is tested prior to release for sale, and there's a wide variety of banned substances.
Take your workout very seriously and be safe with excess pre-workout boost. For more information, go to amway.com and search pre-workout. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration and is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.